will fix you. Hello and welcome to We Will Fix You. The audio equivalent of photocopying your bottom at the office Christmas party and then running it through the photocopier again and again and again until the picture distorts into a pimply hellscape of what was once your ample behind. Anyway, if you would like to ask us a question, write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com. Joining me today, between your auditory equivalent of the photocopier under the water cooler, Mr. Dave Convery, the ceaseless, uncaring void. Good evening. Ms. Lucy Boyce, the sympathy minister. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. And I am Roger Hart, joined by quantum entanglement to the Roger standing right behind you. Today's question is about table man. Dear question persons, I am not of an especially delicate disposition, but I am really struggling with what you might call an issue of manners. A dear friend of mine is a profoundly messy eater. The full multimedia experience, open-mouthed, chompy and slurpy, all the sights and all the sounds. Is there some way I can kindly tell them that it's all a bit unpleasant? Or should I carry on subtly avoiding sharing meals with them? Yours, slightly, but only slightly, disgusted. Mr. Convery. Well, first things first, I don't know that you're necessarily in the right here. Uh, if, if this person is an adult and no one else seems to give a shit or ever mention it to them, you could either get over yourself or just go out of your way to avoid eating with them. It's, it's sort of on you. But... It helps, so let's entertain the notion that maybe you are right. No one else has done anything to address this. Not their parents, friends, teachers. It's never never been corrected. But someone has to, and that is you, because you are a brave little soldier. Now, how we eat is pretty ingrained behavior. So, you know, this is, this is sort of psychologically complex, breaking it down, building it back up. This is muscle memory. This is years of ingrained habit. But... You signed up for this, you brave masticatory soldier. You've got a couple of options. First one, I think, is physical intervention. Address what you don't like about how they're, uh, they're eating. Grab their jaw and the top of their head and physically mash them up and down to, uh, to achieve the correct chewing procedures, perhaps making little num-num-num noises, uh, like, like you would for a child. This has a couple of flaws that I can see immediately. The first of which is you are putting your fingers near their mouth and annoying them quite a lot. And that has, they, they have potential defenses against that. Human bites are also really risky from a health point of view. They uh, are. Mouths are filthy. They are mm-hmm. filthy and the human jaw can exert an incredible amount of pressure. So just bear that in mind. Um, but also the physical intervention is quite noticeable. At which point, you really probably just want to have the chat that you've been putting off in the first place. Something else then, something more subtle, something psychological. Uh, I want you to know that I googled the phrase fixing messy eaters and all of the results were for children or dogs. That is in no way relevant, I just wanted to share it. Also I want to share that I then googled fixing messy eaters adult and all of the results were for very large bibs. So. Again, just bringing it up. 
I, I really thought that would have gone to a different kind of adult place. Yeah. There's always sort of the aversion therapy approach. And if you want to go down that route, just Google the word vore. That's V-O-R-E. Vore. So, psychological approach. There's a whole bunch of things you can do. Uh, you can pull pained expressions when they're eating. You can look obviously disgusted. This is, this is feedback. This is valuable feedback. You can fill it, film it and send it to them anonymously. Someone suggested that on a, at a health forum, uh, which suggests that they were very focused on only one very specific aspect of health. You can give them all sorts of feedback without explicitly telling them. But this is all very cruel, and honestly, I think, I think it makes you a bad person. So, my suggestion is this. Eat messy foods with them. Go out of your way to make sure you're going to eat things that, that can only be eaten messily. Chili dogs, uh, those giant Ethiopian pancakes with curry in the middle, crayfish bakes, kebabs, fondues, lamb chops, fried chicken, and those giant plates of steamed crab that Russian mobsters eat in movies before they all get gunned down by the protagonist. These are, these are your basic options. You need to unclench relax and get some mustard down your adult bib. You will be happier for it. Order pizza with like six toppings too many. Okay, so I'm really conflicted on this one. Um, it's, it's messy. Most manners like dress codes or ideas of propriety are fundamentally hostile power structures. They keep people in their place, they define norms and situations. They limit class mobility. Say you go around for dinner with your richer friends and then you get the piss taken out of you or just feel weird for picking up the wrong fucking fork or something. Drinking the finger bowl. Yeah. Manners, table manners in particular, are tied up in all sorts of, particularly in the UK, all sorts of, of class anxiety. And it feels like, like dress codes, it feels like enforcing arbitrary power structures. On the other hand, there's a whole bunch of eating behavior that I think is fucking gross and that even though I know I already shouldn't, I'd like to enforce rules on for everyone. So I'm, I'm really conflicted about this. On the kind of, like, fuck it, let it go, dude, side. Eating with your hand, like, some, I don't know what the particular, it sounds like from the question, the main thing is the chewing. But, you know, there's a lot of other table manners-y, messy eatery things. Like, eating with your hands is glorious. Um, Jay Rayner has a book, his Ten Food Commandments, a pretty good, quite funny food writer. And I think one of the first chapters is thou shalt eat with your hands. Eating with your hands is glorious. It's sensitive, it's tactile, um, it gets you involved in the food, you can lick your fingers. It's, it's great, eating with your hands is brilliant. Talking with your mouthful is great, provided most of the food stays in there. It speaks to kind of enthusiasm and that kind of being in the moment and good conversation. Elbows on the table. People who don't do that are weird or must have unusually good posture. How like, do you prop all your joints up yeah, if you don't do that? I My mm. spine is rubbish and there's mm. a lot of meat to support. Mm. Like, fuck that noise. The only posture I can manage is propping myself up on my elbows while my lamb fat stained hands just sort of slip across the, co the contours of my head. Yeah. See you do it. It's it's oily that's it's elegant. Mm. It's so really it's it's only the slurpy open mouth chewing that get to me. They shouldn't, but they do. And there's this kind of ick factor. There's a there's a comic called um, Atheist Pig, I think, that had a, a wonderful one about um, gay rights and gay marriage. A couple of panels of nominal bigot character saying yada yada shit argument against gay rights, and the other character kind of pushing back. And eventually they sort of back and forth. Point rebuttal, point rebuttal to, I just think gays are icky. Yeah, now you're being honest. And I think it's also the kind of the, um, the particularly unpleasant end of radical, quote, feminism, the trans-exclusionary stuff. Trot out 
superficially superficially rational arguments get them rebutted, trot out superficially rational arguments, it's all bollocks, and all it comes down to, a lot of people in quite unpleasant situations, all they've got is, I think it's icky. A lot of people trying to assert the primacy of their worldview over someone else's, basically doing it because they think it's icky. Welcome to human history. The problem, where, where this gets complicated is, if the consensus says it's icky, what about rights, what about freedoms, what about balances? You know, um, well, LGBT rights, for example, wouldn't have got anywhere if we had kind of pure mob rule representative, um, direct democracy. Probably. I don't really have that much faith in humans. If, if the consensus says something is icky, does that get to enforce itself? And in general, as a society, as most society, we've sort of, we've sort of said that doesn't happen. We get into weighing up balances of freedoms and rights and responsibilities. Um, does my freedom to chew open-mouthed mesh with your desire not to be grossed out by it and how does that shake out and i think this this is a really hard thing for for lots of things i think about it in terms of um of kind of reasonable harm and reasonable accommodation i i, I think about this a lot i worry about this a lot myself in the way i speak so i used to occasionally use I, I, i'm not entirely over it but i used to occasionally use bits of sexist language and i've been trying not to um i can be quite incautious in the way i express myself and I can get quite cross about efforts to change it as well. So I remember there was a tweet doing the rounds a while back um, saying, although every time you might you think you might want to say spirit animal, maybe say Patronus instead. I don't know if people remember that. Mm, the yeah. single most obnoxious attempt to do a nice thing I can ever remember seeing. And at the time I had spirit animal in my Twitter bio. And I was like, oh, actually, that's, that's maybe not okay. And I was furious with the Patronus thing, which I'll come back to. But maybe that is causing harm. I don't think it's causing much harm, but is it harm I'm comfortable causing? And I thought about it for a minute and thought, well, is there something I can do instead? Not fucking Patronus, because I'm not. Anyway. Read another book, people. It's the message it sends. It, presupp- this, this, it really fucks me off, this endemic Harry Potterification of pop culture. It presupposes that absolutely everyone is on the same page with the Harry Potter shit. And yes, I happen to be, but I don't like, I resent the assumption. And it's twee as shit. No, I will not replace Spirit Animal with Patronus. I'll replace it with something else, but I'm not going to look like some twat in a Hogwarts t-shirt. Anyway, let's see, did it again. Should have probably said Bellend or Wanker. He's losing his goddamn mind here. Try and weigh up the harm, and I thought, actually, can I find something else? And I re-expressed it as co-pilot. But it, the point being, it cost me nothing to make that accommodation and potentially averted some harm. And sometimes you'll look at this and think, it costs me more than I care about. I didn't, I didn't care enough about the rhythm of that sentence to not make the accommodation. Sometimes you, you, you're going to make some, make a choice to make some deliberate harm. But I think. It's about being deliberate and thinking through it. And so in my personal case with chewing, I don't think my freedom here to chew with my mouth open is enough to override the small harm done to you. And so I, you know, I close my fucking ham canyon. But others may have extenuating circumstances. There, there may be reasons people wish to chew over mouthed or need to, um, or there may be complex bits of trauma associated. I'm equivocating here. You're just going to have to go on an ethical case-by-case basis and make the call on whether you think your sensitivities and freedoms trump theirs, and you're going to have to have a deliberate conversation with yourself about it. But it's that deliberate practice that, and engaging in the deliberate practice that makes you not a wanker. Or gives you a shot at not being. Ms. Boy. I'm kind of curious about the, the gender of your dinner companion, because I guess you've not identified your messy-eating friend, but... 
I think if they're an adult female, they almost certainly know and either don't care or can't do a lot about it because you don't really get to grow up as an even vaguely atypical woman without all of society crushing you with the knowledge that you're not right all of the time. However, it's a different ball game for dudes. They have more license to be socially rude and they're less likely to get called out on it or have anyone bring it up as a thing. Um, also, interestingly, what uh, Roger was saying about um, reasons why people may not be able to address this or there might be trauma there. So, I mean, I am the messy eater and a lot of that is kind of fine motor and coordination issues. And I got yelled at repeatedly by a parent growing up because he was so fucking furious that I couldn't use a knife and fork in the manner that he expected. And he never tried to, you know, model that correctly for me. He just watched me and got so angry he couldn't help but scream at his child over dinner, which was not really a great way to handle the thing. But obviously there's some, there's some inside stuff for me about that. There may, this may be true for your friend as well. So what I'm going to say is that instead of focusing on them, why not focus on your own feelings of disgust? As a writer called Rachel Hertz, who's written a book called That's Disgusting, Unraveling the Mysteries of Repulsion, and she posits that there's no such thing as inherent disgust. Uh, to quote her, even the most basic disgust cues are learned because it's dependent on experience, socialization, personality, and context. And she goes on to say, it isn't always the case that disgust helps us. Many times our feelings of disgust serve no purpose, prevent us from expanding our personal and social horizons, or at worst, enable us to cause harm or disregard others. So part of the thing you need to do here is figure out your own disgust triggers. Connect what is revolting you about this particular behaviour with the initial trigger for that disgust feeling. Who else in your life has been a gross or a messy eater? Do you have any other negative feelings towards them that you might be kind of conflating together? Do you have a parent or another adult figure in your life who, when you were younger, made a big deal about people eating in a disgusting fashion. Again, to pull in the family stories, my mother is someone who is very easily grossed out by certain things like hair in food to the point where she will just go on and on and on about how sick it's making her feel, which again has a knock-on effect on the people around you. It took me a really long time to realize that actually I don't particularly like food in here, but I can just remove it and forget about it and it doesn't make me feel cascading different levels of wanting to throw up. That's a her thing and not a me thing. So uh, Rachel Hertz goes on to talk about the ways that you can train and condition yourself to be less disgusted. And the most effective way of doing undiscussed training is essentially to repeatedly expose yourself to the disgusting thing to the point where it stops eliciting such a strong response from you. So I would say far from avoiding sharing meals with this person, absolutely embrace it, do it until you can have a conversation with them while you're doing it without thinking at all about the manner in which they're eating. I also want to... Um, talk about so one of the ideas she brings up is that empathy and disgust are fundamentally linked you know people people get disgusted about other people's behaviors in a lot of ways we have the uh, the, the gay thing or sort of immigrant oh god I don't want them coming over here they're gross sort of thing and it's usually because there is a barrier to you feeling empathy with the group of people you're disgusted by mm -hmm. so um you might want to consider some, some loving-kindness meditation or compassion-based meditation in tandem with watching this person eat every day until you stop feeling disgusted by it. Specifically, try and encompass this person and their behaviour in your meditation. See if you can love them just for being human and who they are and accept this as a facet of their person. Rachel Hertz also goes on to say, when we're disgusted, we're actually empathising with ourselves for the awful contact that we've had with the gross thing, the dog poop, the thought that we too could be deformed, ill or alien. In the case of other people, if we empathise with the person who is disgusting us, we will not only do good for another, we will do good to ourselves and become undisgusted. And this is also uh, this is backed up by research they've done into um, contamination-based OCD. Again, the disgust around contamination is something that you have to break down with repeated exposure mm -hmm. therapy. So there's kind of a, there's a clinically relevant component to this as well. So yeah, don't avoid them. Invite them out tonight. That's what I say.
I like it. Plus, you know, more fun dinners. Well, exactly. It's nice eating out. Yeah, and you could combine these with the with the messy food idea. Mm. Have but, some a big old tray of gloopy nachos. And with my idea of just constant moral anxiety. Yeah. Have some constant moral anxiety and a big tray of gloopy nachos and some compassion meditation. It's a really delicious combination. Spicy. Muy picante. Yes, that, I believe, is fixed. If you two would enjoy some fixing, anxious, spicy, dribbly, crumbly, slurpy or mouth flappy or one of the other dwarves, you can write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com. We won't reply, but we might answer your question, maybe telling you you're wrong. Good cheer. <laughs>